Turn with me to Ezra chapter 8. Now, just to bring us back up to speed there, as we have been going through Ezra, and beforehand we're getting a lot of history of what had occurred before Ezra came on the scene. But in chapter 7, when he's finally introduced, when it's finally his time, that we now have everything being in the first person. So now this is really his, his kind of diary, if you will, uh, giving us an account of what had happened when he was before the king, uh, Artaxerxes, everything that was granted to him by the king that he understood, of course, was the sovereign hand of God that was behind the king. The king had given him everything that he needed, everything that he asked for. He's going back to Jerusalem. Twelve families are going with him, which cannot be a coincidence, by the way. Uh, you have some a, a lot of similarities, uh, no doubt, uh, within that whole scenario. You got twelve families that are leaving uh, a foreign land where they were exiles, heading back into Jerusalem, which really brings us a lot of similarities between Moses and leading the children of Israel out of Egypt back into the promised land, demonstrating the faithfulness of God. We looked at the genealogies there of the 12 families. We understood that uh, one in particular was not only the whole nation being a covenant nation, but you had a covenant family, if you will, that was being referred to there in chapter 8, the family of Haddish who was a son of David, as we recognize that our Lord had promised that the Messiah would come through the line of David. And here you see uh, that line indeed going back to Jerusalem because the Messiah must be born in Bethlehem as the prophecy had foretold. As he's recounting all this, as he's recording the number of families and all of that, he uh, assembles everyone uh, at this place, Ahava, They camp there for three days. He's looking over the people. He's making sure everything is as it should be. They have everything that they need, all the supplies that they need, all the food, all the other provisions that they're going to need. And he notices that there are no Levites here. So where are they at? So he he sends uh, a number of his leading men to a man named Edo, who was the leading man at the place of Casaphia, probably where this was where the Levites taught. Uh, they had maybe a synagogue there, as we recognized before, as we talked about it, you know, that the synagogue had started in the Babylonian exile. Maybe this is the place where it actually started, the great synagogue. They need the Levites. They need the people of God uh, to be ministered to. So they send the leading men. Ezra gives them instruction. This is what you are to say to them. And indeed it worked. And you had many of the sons of Levi that would be coming as well on the trip to go and minister in the house of God. So not only do you have the priest who's going to be ministering in the temple, uh, you had the high priest and all of that, but you had the Levites that ministered to the priest. And now they have... A small group of them, I think there was 30-something there, that are going to go back 
and, and minister uh, and do the very things that they hadn't done before. You've, you understand this, that many of the people that are there in exile had never been to Jerusalem, had never ministered in the temple, had never performed the duties that were required of them. And so perhaps they were a little hesitant to go back. Here we just teach the law. Here we, we learn all of that. If we go back to Jerusalem, we're going to have to do these things of which the law requires, which is helping out with taking care of the temple, all of that, uh, uh, performing the sacrifices, which we understand was a very bloody process here. Do we really want to do that, or do we want to stay here teaching and learning, preaching? Well, indeed, the heart of these men were moved by the Lord and the words that Ezra had told these other men to say to them. They needed encouragement. They needed to recognize that they were needed, that God's plan for them, God's uh, uh, calling that He had placed on their life was to go back to Jerusalem and perform the duties that God had commanded. And so that's what's going to happen. They're going to go back. But here in our text... Verses 21 to 23, we're just going to take these three verses this evening. We also see some other things that are occurring here. In one sense, it's a, it's a little humorous, uh, but in another, it is a very serious matter. For God's reputation is on the line in these three verses. Because Ezra, after he gets everyone there and they're getting ready to go back, he's going to proclaim a fast. They're going to petition the Lord uh, for protection as they go on their journey. And they're going to do that because Ezra did not ask the king for any soldiers to accompany them on their trip. Ezra tells the king, basically, the Lord's going to protect us. We don't need anything else. And so what are they going to do? They're going to petition the Lord for that very thing. We find a lot of times in Scripture that Fasting is done uh, petitioning the Lord for deliverance, for protection. It intensifies prayer. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, but some of the things that we need to understand for sure, for certain, is the need for prayer, the power of prayer, how, how we are to engage in prayer. These are important things for the people of God. Fasting is not just for leaders. It's not just for you know, people that are uh, leading others or teaching others or whatever. Fasting is something that is for all the people of God and it intensifies the praying that you are doing. It is something that is needed. Not often done, but it is something that is needed. If you were to ever, I mean, just think to yourself, have you fasted and prayed? Have you denied yourself food just to lay aside that time in order to pray and to cast all your care upon God? Not many people do. Sometimes when we fast, sometimes it's a necessary thing in the sense of when something troubling is going on in our lives, sometimes we don't feel like eating. We don't feel like doing anything else but just pouring our heart out to God. There are times in which fasting occurs in that way. It is something that is indeed done within Scripture. 
It is something that is encouraged in Scripture. It's not necessarily at all that if you fast and you pray that God's going to hear you better or something along that line, but it does intensify the praying that you are doing. And they are going to cast all their care upon the Lord and petition Him for safety, for safe traveling. Not only do we have it recorded for us that they're going to pray, and this is what they're praying for, but Ezra also records the answer to the prayer. God answering prayer. It's one thing to record what you're going to be praying for and all of this, but Ezra is sure to tell us that God answered the prayer. Because that is a great encouragement to all the people of God in such a strength and time of need. Praying is a necessary aspect of the Christian life. It is something that is not often done. We talk about fasting being something that's not often done. Neither is prayer. Not in the sense that it should be. Praying should be as important to you as breathing, as one theologian said. It should come as natural to you as breathing. It is your communion with God. It is part of your relationship to the Lord your God. And by the way, praying is not just something that you are engaging in as, you, as you're trying to uh, just come up with a number of things in your mind. I need this. Help me with this. Now, granted, here we're going to be reading of that, but that's not all the prayer is. Prayer is not only pouring your heart out to your Lord, but it's acknowledging the greatness of your God. Praying is vital to the life of a believer. We see how important it is here as they're getting ready to take this long trip, four-month trip, a one-way trip, and they are sure to petition their Lord and to cast all their worries upon Him, all their care, all their burdens, any fear that they have, they're going to cast it all on Him in prayer and trust in Him. Trust that He's going to bring them through. What a lesson that that is. What a great example to the people of God of what is necessary in the life of a believer. Now, let's look at this here. In Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 to 23, if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> this is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words of the living God. Let us give our attention to it. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Hava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek Him, seek from Him a safe journey for us, our little ones, and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way, because we had said to the king, The hand of our God is favorably disposed to all those who seek him, but his power and anger are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter, and he listened to our entreaty. Let's pray. Gracious God, how we thank you for this privilege of entering into this communion with you, of praying to you, seeking your face, acknowledging your greatness. Oh, Father, let us not see prayer as 
as some robotic exercise that we are to do. But let us see the, the joy that is in prayer. We are communing with you through the Spirit of God in the name of our Lord Jesus, that we can come boldly before your throne of grace to receive grace in our time of need. Father, thank you so much for this gift of not only salvation in Christ Jesus, but in the gift of prayer. Entering into the throne room of God. Coming before your throne. How magnificent a gift. What a privilege it is to come and to come favorably in your sight. Father, help us to understand the need that we have for praying. The need that we have of truly pouring our hearts out to you and acknowledging the greatness of our God and the majesty of who you are. Guide our thoughts this evening as we work our way through this passage. And may you indeed be glorified in us this day. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children said, Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so as we're reading here, they have everybody that they need. Remember, this is just a small group compared to the last one. The last one you had 42,300 and some odd people, something along that line. That, the, that first generation that came, you had that many people, that big of a group, and here you have maybe some would estimate, what, about 5,000? Somewhere like that. I mean, Jesus fed 5,000 people at one time. Probably closer to fifteen or 20,000 when you count the women and children, but we're told at least 5,000 men. That's the group that's going to leave Babylon. That's the group that's going back to Jerusalem. And the hand of the Lord is with them. The king has granted them everything that they need. And the king did grant Ezra a set of troops if he wanted them. Some horsemen if he wanted them. But instead, he chose not to do that. He chose instead to trust in the Lord, to recognize that God had orchestrated all of this, that God was working in everything that was happening. He worked in the heart of the king in order to turn the heart of the king to, to favor his people and to grant them everything that they needed. He knew that God was in this. He knew that God was orchestrating this. And so, being the man of faith that he was, he said, we don't need that. Our God is going to protect us. Now, there uh, might have been not necessarily any uh, regret to what he said. I would never say that he regretted saying that to the king, but indeed it was something that he recognized afterwards was like, mm, maybe I should have done that. Of course, there is a little bit of fear uh, that goes along with that, but the thing that happens here is even though there's some hesitancy, maybe some second guessing as to what he should have done he ultimately did exactly what he was supposed to have done in trusting the Lord in the way that he did. But he's going to get everybody involved in this. This isn't just going to be something that he's going to go into his tent and he's going to fast and he's going to pray. He's bringing everybody into this. He says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for us, our little ones, and all our possessions. Here's what he's going to do. 
He's going to gather the, the whole group of people, the 5,000 people, whatever it was, and he's going to say to everyone, we need to humble ourselves before our God. We need to pour out our hearts in prayer. We need to, to remove anything else because it's, it lacks importance and you need to give yourself over to prayer. And so what is it that the people are going to do? They're going to intensify the prayer because he's calling for a fast. They're going to, the fasting has this sense of, of longing. Longing for God is, it's an expression of longing. John Piper says, fasting is a physical exclamation point at the end of our pleas to God. Let me read that again. Fasting is a physical exclamation point at the end of our pleas to God. It is an expression of longing for Him, of longing for His care, longing for His power, longing for Him to work in this matter of which we are praying for. It is to purposely put yourself in, in discontentment and have yourself to focus on only one thing, which is the Lord your God. Saying, I need you more than I need food. And actually, fasting really does tell a lot about you. It really does help to, to focus in on, on where, you know, perhaps you struggle with sin or whatever. Because the fact of the matter is, is when you're satisfied, when you're satisfied with food and everything's good and you're just, you're feeling good and then you enter in with prayer with the Lord, it's a great thing. By all means, you can certainly pray uh, being satisfied and, and not having any hunger or any longing for anything else. But when you deny yourself those things, when you deny yourself food and your stomach is, is yearning for food and, and you're hungry and you have to, 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 to suppress that, that feeling and, and let your heart be what's longing for God instead to be filled with Him, then it, it intensifies because that's the thing you're focusing on. That's the thing you're concentrating on. You're trying to put out of your mind any physical longing or desire that you have and you're going to give yourself over to God. And what... What a need that that is for the people of God. Jesus anticipates that you're going to fast. In Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Verses 14 and 15. Listen to the wording here. Then the disciples of John came to him asking, Why do we... And the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So he anticipates that it's going to happen. He anticipates that it's going to be something that is done in the life of a believer, in the life of those who are longing for the kingdom. At the time, it wasn't necessary because Jesus was here. Jesus was walking with them. The epitome of the kingdom was right here on earth. But he says, a day is coming when the bridegroom is going to be taken away and then they're going to fast because they're going to long even more for the fulfillment of the kingdom, longing for the presence of God, for the presence of Christ. A time is coming in which it's necessary. And that's what he's saying. They have 
a four-month journey ahead of them. They, they're not going to do as, as many do. They're not going to just gather around and say a little quick prayer. Lord, I pray that you'd give us safe travels as we, as we go. Uh, watch over us, protect us. Uh, we love you. Amen. That's not how they're going to pray. They're going to get on their knees and they're going to petition the Lord of heaven and earth. And they're going to demonstrate the, the, the veracity of their prayer and the, or the intensity of their prayer and the, the, the commitment to this prayer. And they're going to deny themselves the very thing that is a difficult thing to suppress, which is hunger. They're going to long for the living God. Have you ever fasted before? You know, one of the struggles that I always have, because, and I'll be absolutely honest with you, where, where I like to work out and I like to eat in a certain way or whatever, sometimes when I think to myself, you know, we need, really need to pray on this and, and, I just, and I need to, I just need to fast. I need to just take some time and to fast. One of the temptations that go into my mind is, ooh, if you fast, you can probably lose a few more pounds. That'd be great. And then you have, to, you have to catch yourself and you have to be like, no, this is not what this is about. This is about me communing with God. So there's always a temptation that is there and you can see what sins really pop up when you're, when you're engaging in fasting. What things that you have to battle with and how you treat other people because when you get hungry, you get cranky. So there's a lot of things that go along with it. But it helps you to focus in on the purpose of what you're doing and to keep it genuine. To keep it upright. I don't want anything else. I just want you. Help me focus upon you. Let me pour out my heart to you. Yes, I'm hungry, but Lord, I want more of you. I don't want to be satisfied with, with everything else that's here. I want to be satisfied in you. Especially when something is, is going on in your, in your life in your household, in your family, in your extended family, things are going on at work or whatever the case is, you fast. You give yourself over to, to that kind of intense prayer to the Lord your God. When was the last time you fasted? And what was the purpose? Do you fast that the lost would be saved? Do you fast for the others that are going uh, through difficult times in the church? Do you fast in order to see the power of God work within the church? These are questions that we really need to reflect on. How willing are we to fast and to come before God in prayer? Fasting and prayer go together. You don't just fast, you fast and you pray. I want to see God move mightily in my life. Let me give myself over to this intense praying. I don't want, to, I don't want anything else. I just want you. And all the people are doing it. This is like a church-wide fast that's going on here. Lord, protect us. And we are really genuine about this prayer for you to protect us because this is how we are approaching you.
they're demonstrating their devotion and their commitment to him. Kind of reminds you of those words of Jesus, doesn't it? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's how man lives. That's how man moves. That's how man has his being is because of God. Why? Why fast? What, what was this all over? Again, we go back to Ezra. He says, I was ashamed. He was embarrassed is the idea. Some of your translations may say that. I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy all on the way. I told the king, here's what he's saying, the hand of our God is favorably disposed to all those who seek him, but his power and his anger are against all those who forsake him. So here's the king who's an idolater. He's worshiping false gods, he, all this sort of thing. And in order to demonstrate the power of our God, Ezra says, we don't need anything. We have everything that we need in the Lord our God. Now he's thinking, now I'm embarrassed to go back and ask anything. I'm ashamed to do that because then what's the king going to say? I thought your God was powerful enough. And so really God's reputation is on the line here. But again, here's what you go back to. Could he have asked for the, the troops and the horsemen? He absolutely could have. But the king had granted it to him, he absolutely could have. But when you're looking at this whole scheme here, this whole uh, situation before us, again, Ezra recognized the hand of the Lord in all of this. And what a statement of faith it was, a demonstration of faith for Ezra to say, God has orchestrated all of this. I've seen his hand working in this entire thing. I've seen uh, the, what God has done beforehand in the generations before us of how the Lord kept his promise and he led the people back to the, the land of, of their fathers as he promised that he would after captivity. I've seen how the Lord has stirred up the heart of the king, how the Lord has stirred up the people. I know God is in this. I, I, I see him working. So we're not going to ask for anything. We are going to trust in the sovereign hand of our God to bring us through. And that's what happens. He has such a trust in God, such faithful trust in Him to know you're going to bring us through. This four-month trip you're going to bring us through. You're going to protect us from all the enemies that we encounter along the way. Because the hand of the Lord was with him. What faithfulness that was, that was demonstrated in that. Does that mean that we trust God in, in, all of, in all of this to believe that He's going to bring us through something? Well, here's what we have to go back to is yes, we trust the Lord regardless. Do we have a guarantee that we're going to get through this or that we're going to get through this circumstance or whatever? No, we don't. This was a certain circumstance in which 
Ezra saw the hand of the Lord working in, in the way that it did. But here's, here's the thing you got to go back to. Even if the Lord had not brought them through as safely as he did, Ezra's trust in him still would have been just as strong. Just as he would have had just as much faith in the Lord if he had not brought them through. You know how we know that? Because we see others in the scripture to whom these things didn't work out so well or wouldn't have worked out so well had the Lord not intervened. You think of as we went through the book of Daniel, how we saw Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. What did they say to the king? Our Lord can deliver us from the furnace, but even if he doesn't, we're still not bound to knee. What happened? They trusted in the Lord. They were cast into the furnace, and the Lord did intervene, and the Lord did deliver them, but they were willing to endure whatsoever came to pass because they knew it was from the sovereign hand of God. That's how much they trusted. That's how much faith that they had in Him. That's how much faith that we should have in Him. Lord, I really believe that this is the way that You're leading. I really believe that in this, this terrible thing that's going on in my life, Lord, I believe You're going to bring me through. But there should be another statement that we say. But even if you don't, I still trust in you. I still believe in you. I still have confidence in you. And the reason why we want to emphasize that is because there's those ideas that are so prevalent today that if you really believe it and you speak it, that God is going to do it. And that's just not the case. The Lord does whatever he wills to do. Not what we command Him to do. We don't impose anything on Him. That's why James says, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will do such and such a thing. What kind of confidence do you have in the Lord? That's really what it boils down to. Ezra had great confidence that the Lord was moving and working and orchestrating this whole thing. And so they petition the Lord. They pray. They fast. Now, what's the implication of that? If Ezra just said, well, the hand of our God is with us. I've seen him working all these things. Let's just go. Let's just start out and go. That's not what he does. He's not presumptuous. He calls on all the people Let's pray and ask God to protect us. Let's, let's come together and let's commit ourselves to fasting and truly seek God's face to protect us. Because there's always that, that other side of it. Well, maybe that isn't the Lord's will. But we're going to petition Him and we're going to ask and we're going to seek and we're going to knock. And we are going to follow through with what we believe that the Lord has planned here. So it wasn't presumption on Ezra's part. He's doing the very thing that we should do. Seeking the face of our God. Petitioning Him. You know, and Jesus says, how does Jesus say to pray? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. What, 
What's the levels of that? You're asking God. You're not just asking, but now you're seeking. And then you're not just seeking, you're knocking down the doors of heaven. That's how we are to pray. And our Lord tells us that in the little parable that He gives. One of my favorites. The man who has a friend that has come from a long journey. It's midnight. And so his friend comes. He doesn't have anything to eat or give him. He doesn't have anything to give him, rather. So what does he do? He goes to his neighbor. He knocks on the door. And he says, hey, I need three loaves to feed my friend who's come from a long journey. Now the friend that's inside the house says, door's already locked. It's midnight. I'm not getting up and giving you anything. And three loaves are really like three biscuits. It's not really a big thing here. But the friend says, I ain't giving you anything. Door's already closed. But the text says, and Jesus says, but because of his persistence, the man did get up and give him everything that he needed. And Jesus is using that as an example of what prayer should be. Asking, seeking, and knocking down the doors of heaven. Seeking after the Lord. Seeking after His favor. Seeking after whatever it is that's going on. And actually that word persistence, by the way, because of the man's persistence, the friend got up and gave him whatever he needed. It's, it, the, the text actually says, the, the word actually means because of his shamelessness. Because of his shamelessness, he wasn't going anywhere. He was going to keep knocking, keep bothering his friend until you get up and you give me what I need. And that's what Jesus says. That's how Jesus says to pray. Because the Lord delights in his people coming to him and being persistent when they come. Being committed when they come. We give up way too easy. What does James says? You don't have because you don't ask. And when you ask, you lack the faith. Because we say things like, well, Lord, this would be great, but I know it probably won't happen. But it would be great if it did. And then we go on. If there is something that we are praying for that is something that we find within Scripture that is pleasing to the Lord and something that the Lord delights in, that we're trying to pray in the Spirit, we're trying to pray in agreement with the Spirit of God, then we keep praying and we keep asking. And we intensify that praying and we intensify the commitment to prayer through this discipline of fasting. Ezra was ashamed. He was embarrassed because he put God's reputation on the line and says our God is powerful enough. He's not like the idols of men. The idols of men, they can't see. They can't hear. They can't speak. But our God can. And our God can protect and we're going to trust in Him. They prayed for the Lord to bring them through. And what then occurred? Well, we have the recording of it right there. So we fasted. 
and sought our God concerning this matter, and he listened to our entreaty. They're sure to put this in here. Not only did they seek the Lord's face, but that the Lord answered the prayer. Now, why, why, is, that, why is that important? Well, one, it teaches us that our God hears, and our God does act, and our God has the power to do whatever He pleases to do. Our God is not like the idols of men. That's why it's there. To show us that the true and living God answers prayer. You know, here's an interesting thing to understand. We're reformed people. We're, we're that big C word. We're Calvinists. We believe in the sovereignty of God and all of that. We believe that God never changes His mind. Ever. You know, R.C. Sproul was asked that question. Does God ever change His mind? Thankfully, in that one, he didn't say, what's wrong with you people? He says, God doesn't change his mind. Prayer doesn't change God's mind. But prayer does change things. Isn't that interesting? Prayer does change things. How so? How does that happen? Because in, with our majestic God, whose ways are so unsearchable that we could never understand them because of His magnificence, because of His grandeur, how unsearchable are His ways, as Paul says. Our God declares the end from the beginning, all of that that we read of in Scripture. He's already decreed the outcome of things. And yet at the same time, our God uses the prayers of His people in order to accomplish what He already planned to do. He uses prayer as the means from His people in order to carry out what He decreed. You get to take part in what God is doing. Now, give me an example of that. You know how Moses is up on the mountain with the Lord. He's receiving the law. All of a sudden, the people are down here and the people begin to commit idolatry. They made this golden calf and, and now they're dancing around it. Now they're proclaiming that this is Yahweh, Israel, this is your God. And the Lord says to Moses, leave me alone. I'm going to consume them in my anger. And what do you see Moses doing? Moses intercedes on behalf of the people and he says, no, Lord, don't commit this because what are the nations going to say that you brought your people out of Egypt in order to destroy them? And the text tells us that the Lord relented from that. Now, the Lord didn't change his mind because the Lord had already promised, already promised Abraham. Well, actually, you can go back even further. The Lord had promised all the way back in Genesis 3 that a Redeemer was coming. The Lord had already promised that the Messiah was coming through the line of Judah. The Lord had promised Abraham 
that in you, your seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. He already promised Abraham, your people are going to be in captivity for 400 years and I'm going to bring them out with a strong arm, with a strong hand, and I'm going to give them this land. He already promised those things. Now, had the Lord actually destroyed completely the people of Israel, then all those promises that he made would have been false. Did the Lord have any intention of truly doing that? No. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been keeping his promises. But he used the prayer of his servant Moses, who interceded on behalf of the people, to then grant mercy to his people. Moses was part of the process. The Lord not only ordains the end of things, but he ordains the means of them. And praying is part of that. I say that because, because we're Reformed people, and especially when you talk to people like, well, why even pray? Why do you even pray if everything's going to happen the way it's going to happen? You pray because God told you to pray. You ask because God told you to ask. Now, how all that can, coincides within the sovereignty of God and then in the majesty of God and how he de declares the end from the beginning, that's all in the mind of God. But God has said to you, you come before me and you pray and you cast your care upon me. You ask and you seek and you knock. You pour out your heart to me in prayer. You leave all those mystery things in the hand of God and you do what the Scripture tells you to do. And the Lord answers prayer, just as He did right there. Praying is vital to the Christian life. I know the guys give me a hard time because... A lot of times I don't pray over my food before I eat it. Lord knows I've had to endure such hostility of sinners against me. <laughs> but I don't do that often, especially when, when you're getting ready to eat because it's going to be too, too quick of a thing. To me, it was too, it was too robotic. It was too quick of a, of a thing just to say, uh, you know, just to go through the process of it, you know, Lord bless this food and use it to nourish us. Thank you for all, blah, 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 and, and go on. Prayer shouldn't be something that's just so flippant. And so I stopped doing it because that's how it was getting to me. Not that I don't ever pray over food, contrary to others, what they think. I want prayer to be something that is engaging something that is serious, even, even something as small, if you will, of praying over your food. It should never be something that's just, it's just a thing we do. It should be something that, that your heart is engaged to say, I am praying to the Lord my God. I'm praying to my great King, my Lord, my Lord Jesus. And I am giving him thanks from a genuine heart. Thank you for this meal that I'm about to have. Thank you for nourishing me and demonstrating your care and provision for me because you've allowed me to have this meal. Thank you for truly nourishing me and satisfying my hunger. That's how praying should be. 
I had found myself not being engaged in that way. And so, for a lot of times, I stopped doing it. I don't ever want to come before our Lord in that kind of a way. I don't want to ever just do something because it's something that is, is what you do. I want to do it because it's genuine. I want to do it because I believe it. I want to do it because my heart is engaged in it. And not just over my food. I want to pray. I want to, I want to take time in prayer. I want to commune with my Lord. We don't like to use this word of experience because we think it, it puts us too much into a charismatic camp. But we do have spiritual experiences and I want those experiences to be genuine. I want to know that as I come to a passage of Scripture and I'm looking at this passage, I want to feel that, that, that amazement as, as we, we behold our God, the joy of, of who He is. I want to feel that joy. I want that joy in my heart. I want to come to a passage that is exposing me for who I really am. And I want to feel the sorrow and the guilt. I want to come to a passage like this and I want to see how our Lord answers prayer and how our Lord helps His people and how our Lord protects His people. And I want to feel that encouragement to know that I serve this same God. This God is my God. And this is what He does for His people and that's what He does for all of us. I want those spiritual experiences, so I want my heart to be engaged. I want my mind to be engaged. I don't want to just come flippantly. That does nothing. That is just disregarding the majesty of our God. That is saying, well, this is obligated, so Lord, let me just say this to you before I do this. I'm obligated to do this, so let me just say this before this happens over here. No, you come before God and you pour out your heart and you recognize you can do it all. You can protect me. You can strengthen me. You can encourage me. You can help these, this family over here that's going through such a difficult time. You can help me and my family as we have turmoil in my life, in their lives, whatever the case is. I believe that you can work and I know that you act in behalf of your people. Then you put us through these things because it intensifies our faith in you. Whatever it is that is going on, teach me, show me. How am, how am I to be in this? Let me glorify you in this. How can I show my dependence upon you even more? That's the way that we should be praying. Coming to our Lord in prayer in that kind of a way. Praying is as important to the believer as breathing. How often do you pray? How often do you really pray? What time do you set aside? Do you set aside the last of your time? The worthless part of your time? Or do you set aside some of the best of time where you can really be engaged? What do you pray about? Lord, give me, give me, give me. Or Lord, what can I do for you? How may I glorify you this day? Let me reflect upon your wonderful being of who you are. Let me reflect upon your attributes. Let me recount just how great and magnificent that you are. Let me just spend time in praying 
just to acknowledge your greatness. How often do you pray and what do you pray about? Do you truly pour out your heart? Or do you try to do things in your own strength? What is it that you do? One common denominator that you find in all the people of God, all the faithful people of God in Scripture and all the faithful people of God that He used mightily throughout history, they were always a praying people. Always. They never let anything else take the place of their time in communion with the Lord. What was it said of Martin Luther? He used to pray every morning at least for an hour. I'm going to be so busy today that I'm going to pray for two hours. That's what Luther did. And granted, sometimes we may not, we may not know how to pray. Not to really pray. And how to engage ourselves in prayer. So we all have some different ways that we do it. Paul has a way that he prays. Jason has a way that he prays. As do I, as do others. If you need help in, in how to pray, then just ask. And we can try to show you what, what it is that we do. And others do. Whoever you decide to ask. In order to help you to, to pray. And to have a, a, a healthy prayer life in the Lord. And some of the best things that, that you, you could be doing. And I think things that we're, we're all doing. Is that when you set aside time to pray. Instead of trying to conjure up in your mind what all that you can to, to try to kill some time to pray or to fill up some time to pray. Some of the best things that you could ever do is to open up this book. Take a passage of Scripture, take a chapter, whatever it is, a section, and you read through that section of Scripture. And you look at whatever, whatever God is doing in that that portion of Scripture, how the Lord is helping or what the Lord is saying, the words of God as, you, as you're as you reading through that and you you take some time and you just you meditate on it and you think about it and you, you reflect upon what is happening and then you go to your prayer. And what you're praying, then you have, you have great substance now to pray because you just read these things concerning the nature of God or the character of God or the words of God or whatever and and you're 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 thinking about what it is that he's saying and the implications of it and and, and just the magnificence of, of what he's saying and you, you begin to to pray based on what you've just read because it gives you that substance as you acknowledge his greatness as you acknowledge whatever it is that he commands us to do so that in your time of confession that is, you recognize that those are the things that you're not doing, that you have that time of confession in order to, to once again cast your burden upon Him, asking for help and doing the very thing that He just commanded. There are so many different things that you can do in order to engage yourself in prayer because you need prayer. Every one of us need prayer.
time to pray, time to cast all our burdens upon our God who does act, who can act, and who does work within the hearts of His people through prayer. Prayer is a vital part. And then what do you do to intensify that prayer? You can fast as well. To demonstrate your longing for your great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. If we're not doing these things, then let us start to do them. It is never too late to begin to do what we know we should. And to seek the Lord's help in carrying it out. To seek each other's help in carrying it out. So as we move forward, let us indeed take great examples here and understand the need that we have to truly set aside time to pray and to pray with genuine hearts, asking, seeking, and knocking down the doors of heaven to carry out the things that God has commanded of us. Let us be a praying people. And let's pray together right now. Gracious God, We thank you so much once again that as we're reading these portions of Scripture, we see how you work in the lives of of your people. Father, you're the same God. You're the God that we're reading of here who acted on behalf of, of Ezra and the group that left Babylon. You protected them. You gave them safe travel. They sought your face. They poured out their hearts to you to demonstrate their commitment to you. Father, help us to do the same. Help us to be a praying people, to recognize the great benefit of praying and the great privilege of praying. That we are privileged to come before the King of all the universe. That we are privileged to come into your presence, you who spoke creation into existence and you sustain it by the word of your power. You're not a God of the people. You're not a false God that can't help speak, hear, see. You are the living God. You are the only God. Help us, Lord. Stir within our hearts such a desire to spend time with you. to acknowledge your greatness, to learn more of you, to allow your word to penetrate even more into our hearts and to to fill our hearts and our minds with the majesty of who you are. Help us to be a praying people, people that are faithful unto you. Move mightily within our hearts and bring about such change in us. Let us glorify you, not only in how we treat one another, not only in how we worship, but let us glorify you in how we pray, recognizing who we're praying to. Father, we are dependent upon you for everything. We can't carry these things out without you. We need the Spirit of God to to help us, to guide us, to teach us. Thank you so much for this gift and help us to see it as such. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your attention.
and you are dismissed.